We are now going to announce that this ain't your mama's Sunday school. In our Genesis series, we have now gotten to Genesis 34, which as my Torah commentary um, speaks of the ravishing of Dina or Dinah. And ravishing seems like a nice word for what happens to her. Um, So I will be as G-rated as possible with what is actually like probably an NC-17 story in your Bible. Um, Last week, Miss Tina was in the back with her daughter, Juliana, and she said, wait, what? I've never heard of that story that we're going to be talking about (laughs) this Sunday at Spark. And she said, that's because we don't tell this story to kids in Sunday school with the flannel grams, right? Thank God, right? This would just be horrible animated. But um, uh, these stories uh, oftentimes help us to um, have an idea about the Bible that's just not simply accurate. When we see these flannel grams or when we go to Sunday school, we kind of think that everything is flowery and nice. We think that Jesus was just this really nice guy who hung out with little kids and little lambs, and we never understand why they wanted to kill Mr. Rogers. Like, it doesn't make any sense to us why they crucified Mr. Rogers. And we have these, even the flannel grams are flannel, right? They're soft. They're comforting somehow, not just for the sticky, right? There's something really lovely about the stories that we choose to highlight. But this wouldn't be Spark if we skipped over Genesis 34. Because Spark is a place where we tell the whole story, even the parts we don't like, even the parts we aren't comfortable with. We even talk about them with our children because these are stories that represent the fullness of the human experience. And as we'll see, it's actually deeply important that this story is included in our text. So are you okay with all that? I know it's not your normal. Anyone raise their hand if you've been to church before where they talked about the quote-unquote ravishing of Dina. Yes, it's not your typical. Oh, Micah raised her hand in the back. She's four. (laughs) She has been at Spark for a year and a half, but uh, this is the first time we have discussed this particular sermon. All right, let's start then. Uh, The title of the sermon is A Thing Not to Be Done. Now, Dina, the daughter of Leah, had born... Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. What land are they in? They're in the land of Shechem, which is the land when Abraham first came into the land, God had said, I will give this land to your descendants. But as Jacob has just finished his meeting with Esau, and as they've parted ways peacefully, Jacob now arrives in Shechem, the land of the Canaanites. Not just Shechem, the city, but it's really a term to use to denote a a larger region. So as they're there then, Jacob's only daughter, the daughter of Leah, Dina goes out to visit the daughters of the land. Now this sounds like, well, maybe she's just going to the mall and going shopping. But typically in this type of society, in this Middle Eastern community, this actually is not appropriate. It's not appropriate for Dina to be going out by herself. It's not appropriate for her to be going out amongst strangers outside of her tribal set because things happen that aren't quite the way they should be in this land of the Canaanites. So it starts already with a problem where we have Dina going out amongst the daughters of the land, and she's going to start to interact with that community. Now, when Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, like the chieftain or prince of the area, saw her, he took her and lay with her by force. In Hebrew, it's three commands very quick. Took lay, forced. Very, very quick, three commands. Note, by the way, that hamor in Hebrew means donkey. But, you know, 
the other King James version of that story, which I think is a good name for this guy and all of his descendants. So, Shechem, son of a donkey, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her and took, took her, lay with her, forced her. His heart was drawn to Dina, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. I can't, no, thank you. And Shechem said to his father, donkey, um, Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. And it's really like that, just like he took Dina, now he wants his dad to take Dina for him. Now, when Jacob heard that his daughter Dina had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with the livestock, and he did nothing about it until they came home. Anyone have a problem with that? Great. Hold that. And then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's son had come in from the field as soon as they heard what had happened. And they were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by laying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. And that word there in Hebrew for outrageous is really a technical term for something that's so abhorrent societally, that's so terrible, that it threatens to tear the fabric of the very society upon which we live. It is outrageous. It is unacceptable. It is abhorrent. And we must do something about it. We must get it out of our community because it threatens our very existence. So as the Bible tells this story, it starts by saying that what has happened to Dina is outrageous. And it is a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. It's like his very soul. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us and give us your daughters and take our daughters for ourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it. Trade in it. Acquire property in it. Essentially, be like us. Become us. Live like us. Pick up our ways. And Shechem said to Dina's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and I'll give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like. I'll pay whatever you ask. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Because their sister Dina had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, we can't do such a thing. We cannot give our sister to a man who's not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters to ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. This is my favorite line. Because really, why would that ever sound good? Why is that a good proposal? Hey, I have an idea. Let's force all of the men in our community to do this thing just so he can marry the girl he wants. Right? Worst, worst dating arrangement ever. Right? If, if your friend came to you and said, hey, can you help a brother out? I really like this girl but I need the entire city of Palo Alto to subject themselves to this significant surgery as adult men, what would you say? Find another woman, right? Or you, yeah, that, right? The cry. <laughs> we will not do it. But this is the ruler of the land. 
And the young man, who was the most honored of all of his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said, and he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. He was delighted with her. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of the city. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters. They can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people, only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? That's an interesting thing they just threw in at the last second, by the way. It wasn't part of the agreement. But here, by the way, don't, don't worry. You'll get lots of animals. Um, so let us agree to their terms, and they will settle among us. You have to wonder if there was any discussion, right? Was there any, like, um, could we, can we go back? Can we say, how about just you know, tip of my pinky? You know, <laughs> what other thing could we do? But all the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Now, out of the gate probably indicates that those, yes, the uh, Brick Testament helps us once again. I asked Kevin, I'm like, can I? He's like, yeah, it was great. All right. Uh, for those listening online, bricktestament.com, go to Genesis, just click through the story. All right. So um, every male in the city was circumcised. Now, when it says those who went out the city gate, it's not necessarily like there was this parade out the gate, as the Brick Testament is somehow showing, but instead it would be anyone who, as people, would go out the gate to war. So all of, those, all of their military force, all of the men of fighting age, of fight, the entire military does this. The entire military does this. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, and two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. Notice that Simeon and Levi, they're her two full brothers. The others are half-brothers, but this is their full sister, this thing that has happened. So Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dina from Shechem's house and left. Notice that she had stayed there, had been remaining captive this whole time. So when Jacob has found out that his daughter has been ravished, it's not just that something happened to her, that she was taken and laid with and forced. It's that she is still there and she needs to be rescued and brought back home. The sons of Jacob, these are the other brothers, came upon the dead bodies, looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the field. They carried off all their wealth, all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. And then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. It's really you have muddied the waters for me by making me a stench. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, should our sister be treated like a whore? And that's the end of the story. That's a good question. Somebody, a woman that is not valued in the community. A woman that is being used and thrown aside. This is an outrageous thing. This is a thing not to be done. And the only people that seem to understand this in the story are her two full brothers. Should we allow our sister to be treated like this? Is this permitted? Is this the way we're going to go about living in this world? Now, what they've done is absolutely not okay. And when we get to the blessing of Jacob, of his sons, 
He will not bless Simeon and Levi because they have done this horrible act of violence against an entire community and not just done what they needed to do back to Hamor and Shechem. They, list, they miss out on that blessing. But an outrageous thing has happened, and it is a thing that is not to be done. You see, in this scenario, and as we've been reading through Genesis, we're getting set up for this covenant that God is going to place in front of his people, this difference between God's people and the people of the land. If you'll recall, God is going to give the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the land of the Canaanites, and he's going to say, they have done terrible things, reprehensible things, and I'm going to give that land to you instead. And in the very few instances that God's people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have interacted with those out in the land, it has been bad. Do you remember Abraham twice has to lie and say, she's my sister, not my wife, for fear that Sarai, Sarah, will be taken into the king's harem. And Isaac has to do the same thing for Rebekah. So this very few instances where they start to encounter the ways of the people of this land, the ways of the people who are not God's people, they're already being threatened and their women are being threatened. The women in the community are not safe in the land of the Canaanites. Remember the visitors at Sodom and Gomorrah, that very, again, small instance where we start to encounter the people who are living in the land in Sodom and Gomorrah, we learn that they are bent on violence, bent on abuse, bent to get away with anything they can get away with. And Lot has to flee. God's people have to flee that. Dina's visit, of course, to the daughters of the land leads to something terrible happening to her. And then later on, the next portion, there's really six places where God's people are interacting with the people of the land. Joseph and Potiphar's wife, Joseph will be threatened and accused of trying to abuse Potiphar's wife. So all of these times when they're starting to interact with the people of the land, not God's people, the people of the land, they're starting to see that their lives would be drastically different, drastically changed as a result of the place where they're living if they become one with those people. God's people and the people of the land live differently. That is the way it is supposed to be. Theology and morality go hand in hand. What you know about God, how you believe God to be in this world, changes how you treat one another. When you read the beginning of Genesis and you read the story that God has made, both male and female, in his image, that as we interact in this world and as we set eyes on one another, male or female, we start to say, ah, that is a person made in the image of God because of our theology, because of our story. But in the land where the people live, where God's law is not the rule and reign, things are different. When the power of humanity rules, when man just does, humanity just does, whatever they can do and whatever they can get away with it, desire, lust, and oppression reign unchecked. Insiders are privileged against outsiders. Women are viewed as objects and property, something to be used and abused and thrown aside. Power, not love, drives relationships, including a relationship with the deity. Power, not love, is driving that relationship. God makes a covenant of love to a thousand generations, our God. But everyone else there is looking at gods of power these idols that they are trying to control or trying to use against one another. And physical relationships become ultimately completely divorced from compassion, intimacy, love, fidelity, purpose, and responsibility. 
In God's theology, a physical relationship, male, female, husband, wife, is for a purpose. It is to be fruitful and multiply. It is to bring good into the world. It is to be responsible over our families and our communities. It is supposed to be fidelity-driven, not how much I can get, not about oppression, not about desire, not about control, but instead about love. But where humanity rules and reigns unchecked, we step into places where we drive by power and oppression and lust and abuse. God's way is different. This is a thing that should not be done, the Bible tells you. This is an outrageous thing that should not be done, not only in Israel, but in the entire world. Now, the UN report on global violence against women tells us that this is not something that happened only millennia ago, but it is still happening today. An estimated one out of every three women throughout the world will be beaten, coerced into sex, or otherwise abused in her lifetime. Up to 70% of women in some countries report having been victims of domestic violence at some stage in their life. 70%. One of three. Globally. This is why Genesis 34 has to be in our Bible. Because we need God to say that is an outrageous thing. And it's a thing that should not be done. A thing not to be done. Domestic violence is the biggest security threat to women of West Africa. The biggest security threat to any safety and security is domestic violence. Women in this region are constantly being abused by the men in their lives who are to be their caretakers, their protectors, their providers, but instead their security is constantly being threatened. This is a thing not to be done. The way women are treated in the global world in the United States is a threat, the largest threat to our national security, to our global security, to our global well-being. These are things not to be done, the Bible says. These are outrageous things. But they are still happening in our world today. And I thank God that there's this story in the Bible that says this is not okay. It's not okay. Now, you're not supposed to go and just kill everybody in the community. Also not okay. And Jacob says it's not okay. And Jacob's sons don't get that blessing later on. But guess what else isn't okay? It is also not okay that Jacob did nothing. If Jacob the father had stepped forward and said, this is a thing not to be done, and I will protect my daughter, and I will fight for my daughter, then the youthfulness, zeal of his sons would not have had to step into place where his father hadn't acted. The sons wouldn't have had to go. And do what they did without any wisdom or discernment or knowledge. It is also not to be done that we don't act. Those of you who went with us to the Gary Haugen talk for the International Justice Mission, learning about the locust effect, we learned that the greatest issue regarding poverty in the world is issue of violence. That if we don't solve the issue of violence, we can never eradicate poverty. One in five women around the world is a victim of rape or attempted rape. When this little girl goes to school, she goes to school with the knowledge that it is the riskiest thing she'll do all week. Because this is a thing not to be done, but yet it is still done in our world today. And it is outrageous. And here in the United States, 
about 100,000 American children are trafficked each year into sex trafficking. 100,000. This is outrageous. And we hear these statistics and we've somehow started to go numb. We've somehow started to, to not pay attention to the fact that this is happening. It is outrageous. We should be outraged. We as a community shouldn't be able to sleep at night as a result of these facts. Because this is a thing that our Bible tells us should not be happening in our world. It should not be done. Where are God's people? Are we crying out and will we bring rescue? Because this is a thing not to be done. And most frequently, most currently in our news, bringing back our girls. The near 300 girls in Nigeria who were kidnapped because they were going to school. Their schools had already been closed because it had become so dangerous. But they reopened their school for a brief period because these girls are the best of the best. And they needed to go between ages of 15 and 18 years old. They needed to go and take their final exams because they are on the track to becoming the doctors and the lawyers and the leaders in their community. And they knew it was a risk. And they risked everything to go back to that school to take their final exams so they could be the leaders in their community. And they were kidnapped. And they're being forced into forced marriages, being sold at about $12 a girl. These girls. The leaders of their community. And we should be outraged. And it took three weeks for anyone to notice. We're still looking for the plane that's missing. And that's on CNN all the time. And it took weeks and weeks and weeks for people to say, oh, we should do something about the 300 girls that have been kidnapped. We should care about that. By the way, the name of the terrorist group that kidnapped them, when you translate their name into English, it's entitled Western Education is a Sin. They have said that their name of their group is to eradicate Western education because they perceive any education of a girl to be Western. That's outrageous. Now, Nicholas Kristof, reporting on this in the New York Times, he says this, Why are fanatics so terrified of girls' education? Because there's no force more powerful to transform a society. The greatest threat to extremism isn't drones firing missiles, but girls reading books. That's what changes a world forever. And these kidnappings that didn't just happen in the middle of April in Nigeria, but are happening all the time in the United States, throughout the world. These are things that the Bible says should not be done. But perhaps there's something we can do to change this. I dare you to look at me and see only a statistic. Someone you'll never meet. A tragedy, a commodity, a child bride. I dare you to look at me without pity, fatigue, dismissal. I dare you to look at me as more than a poster for your cause. A promise you won't keep. 
I dare you to look at me and see I am the answer. I dare you to rethink what it means to look at a girl, not a burden, not an object, but the answer. Something should be done. We can change these statistics and these truths that are still present in our world. We can work on the things in our own community that need to be done in order to protect and care for our most vulnerable, for the women and children in our midst, the women and children in our own neighborhoods, the women and children living next door to us. We can recognize not only the truth that they are often victims of horrendous crimes, we can also recognize that investment in them changes everything. That caring and protecting and investing in the women in our community changes our community. That how we view one another, male and female, how we view each other, we can change how our world looks going forward. That even in the church, How many times have I heard sermons directed specifically towards women about how when they grow up, they can be wonderful, and praise God for this, godly wives and mothers. Amen. Yes, we need that. And for the men, we rarely hear the husband-father talk, actually. We hear much more about calling and drivenness. When I was buying my daughter her graduation card at Target, They said, graduates for her, and then graduates for him. And I picked up the for her envelope. Now, this is for a college graduate, ready to take on the world. My daughter's amazing. She's she's going to change the world. And her card, the graduate card for her, had pink butterflies on it. That's fine. I like pink butterflies. And on the inside, it was like, you know, how wonderful. This is such a great accomplishment. Good for you. That's really fantastic. The guy card, which was the one I bought for her, said, driven on the outside. And on the inside, it talked about being a force of change in the world. It talked about making a difference in the world. It talked about being driven and being motivated for the next big thing. That's the card I'm giving to my daughter. Now, if she loves the butterflies, that's great. Love the butterflies. But be a princess that kicks a little butt. Because God has created women and girls in our community to be agents of change. But we cannot be those agents of change without the partnership and love and support and encouragement of all of the men in our community. The men that will in our community stand up right alongside us and say, yes, she has a right to speak. The men in our community who will stand right alongside us and push us, drive us to the next thing, giving us the support and the protection we need to be agents of change in our community. This is a call for all of us. And women, we do it for one another. And women, oftentimes, we're so catty towards each other. And we pull one another down. And men, you do this too. We just use a different word for you. We like to use somehow horrible female catty things for women. We all compete with one another in weird ways. We hurt one another in weird ways. But this is a thing that should not be done. We are the people of God. 
And God tells us that acting any other way is outrageous. That we are to be protectors and lovers and fighters of the way of God. That instead of putting privilege first and letting people be outside, that the way of Jesus invites everyone inside. The way of Jesus says you are not marginalized. You are not less than. No matter who you are, male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, any color of the rainbow, any amount of education or financial benefit that you have, the way of Jesus says you are deeply valued and deeply important. You matter. Your children matter. Come in to the family of God. Jesus flips everything upside down, and those that are outside and those that are marginalized get brought on in tight and close. And not just brought in and protected, but brought in and empowered. Because in the story of Jesus, it's the women that are entrusted with the message that Jesus has risen. And they are the ones that get sent to tell the apostles that glorious truth. The way of God is that all of us together, male and female together, arms joined together, united together, protecting one another. This is the way in which we can live in this world. And there's something that we can do. Something should be done, whether it's within our churches or our homes or our neighborhoods or our school or our world at large. Something should be done about the incredible, horrendous abuse and oppression of women in this world. And it starts with you and me. It starts with how we speak about one another. It starts with how we view ourselves, how we view our children. It starts with us and something can be done. This is the way of Jesus. That we believe there is new life, new hope, a new chance to do something different. And thank God for Genesis 34. Because it teaches that that this type of behavior, this type of reality in our world, it's not something that just happens in our world today. It is included in our Bible and our fuzzy phonogram Bible stories. It's included there on purpose to teach us that this is outrageous and it should not be done. Amen? Father God, we bless you, Lord, for including this story in our Bible. Lord, how tempted we are to whether reading the Bible or watching the news or reading a newspaper, to close our eyes, to skip these chapters, to turn away and to say, I just can't do anything about that, Lord. It's too upsetting. It's too disturbing. I don't want to know. But God, here, this little community here at Spark, this little startup, Spark, God, we pray, Lord, that in us, you would spark change. You would spark in each one of us a desire to know, even when it's hard to know. A desire to then be moved to action, even when it is hard to act. God, we ask that you would spark within us a desire for your justice and your ways to rule in our land and in all of the lands in this world, God. Where male and female both are valued equally. And where women and children are protected and invested in and esteemed where men become protectors and not oppressors, where all of us become more made into your image. Jesus, show us what it is that we can do together as a community and independently on our own, what we can do to bring more of your rule and reign here on earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.